Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. You're much talked about in America. There's much conversation, more so than Maybe they have nothing else to do in America but to talk about me. He seemed relaxed and ready to talk about everything when we met Vladimir Putin last week. And we ask him a lot of questions about himself. Some have called you a czar. So what? You know, people call me different names. About Ukraine, about ISIS, about Russia's place in the world. We do not have any obsession with being a superpower in the international arena. But you are, in part, a major power because of the nuclear weapons you have. You are a force to be reckoned with. I hope so. I I definitely hope so. You know, neither party likes you very much. How are you going to get... I would say that's true, yes. How are you going to get anything through Congress? Well, when you say the party, the establishment doesn't. For instance, I noticed that the... Well, that's who Congress is. No, that's okay. How are you going to get get anything? I've gotten along with politicians my whole life. I've made a fortune on politicians. Nobody knows politicians better than I do. I get along with politicians. You're not going to be able to buy them anymore. No, no, I'm not going to buy them. I'm not going to buy them. I'll get along with them. You got to get along, and you got to get people to do what you. It's called leadership. Tonight, candidate Donald Trump tells us how he would tackle the most critical issues facing America today, and he unveils a tax plan which is sure to make news. And that's something I haven't told anybody. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Morley Safer. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Charlie Rose. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on the 48th season premiere of 60 Minutes. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. There aren't many world leaders who have generated as much interest as Russia's Vladimir Putin, 
All eyes will be on Putin when he speaks at the UN tomorrow and meets with President Obama at a time when he has placed himself and his country in the middle of the most pressing issues of our times. He helped the U.S. and its Western allies broker the nuclear deal with Iran. And now with a Russian buildup of aircraft, military equipment, and personnel in Syria, he has put himself and his country at the center of that civil war and the fight against ISIS. Now, when his relations with the United States seem to be at a post-Cold War low, suffering under Western economic sanctions imposed on Russia, Putin may be looking for a way to restore his international influence and gain the respect he seeks for his homeland. Just before his trip to the U.S., Putin invited us to meet him at his state residence outside Moscow, where we found him characteristically confident and combative as he made the case that the focus in Syria should be on fighting ISIS rather than removing Syrian President Assad. So you would like to join the United States in the fight against ISIS. That's part of why you're there. Others think that while that may be part of your goal, you're trying to save the Assad administration because they've been losing uh, ground and the war has not been going well for them and you're there to rescue them. Well, you're right. We support the legitimate government of Syria. And it's my deep belief that any actions to the contrary in order to destroy the legitimate government will create a situation which you can witness now in the other countries of the region or in other regions, for instance, in Libya where all the state institutions are disintegrated. We see a similar situation in Iraq. And there's no other solution to the Syrian crisis than strengthening the effective government structures and rendering them help in fighting terrorism, but at the same time urging them to engage in positive dialogue with the rational opposition and conduct reform. As you know, some of the coalition partners want to see President Assad go first before they will support. I'd like to recommend to them the following. They should send this message to the Syrian people. It's only the Syrian people who are entitled to decide who should govern their country and how. President Assad, um, you support him. Do you support what he is doing in Syria and what is happening to those Syrian people, those many millions of refugees and the hundreds of thousands of people that have been killed, many by his own force. Well, tell me, what do you think about those who support the opposition, and mainly the terrorist organizations, only in order to oust Assad without thinking about what will happen to the country after all the government institutions have been demolished? Today you have repeatedly said that Assad is fighting against his own population. But look at those who are in control of 60 percent of the territory in Syria. It's controlled by either ISIS or by others, Al-Nusra, such as Al-Nusra and other terrorist organizations. They're recognized as terrorist organizations by the United States, by other states, and by the United Nations. Are you prepared to put Russian combat troops on the ground in Syria if it's necessary to defeat ISIS? Russia will not participate in any 
Russia will not participate in any troop operations in the territory of Syria or in any other states. Well, at least we don't plan on it right now. But we are considering intensifying our work with both President Assad and with our partners in other countries. I come back to the problem that many people look at, and they believe that Assad helps ISIS, that his reprehensible conduct against the Syrian people using barrel bombs and worse is a recruiting tool for ISIS, and that if he was removed, transitioned at some point, it would be better in the fight against ISIS al-Nusra, and others. Well, speaking in a professional language of intelligence services, I can tell you that this kind of assessment is an active measure by enemies of Assad. It is anti-Syrian propaganda. Much is being read into this, including this, that this is a new effort for Russia uh, to take a leadership role in the Middle East, uh, and that it represents a new strategy by you. Is it? Not really, no. More than 2,000 fighters from Russia and ex-Soviet republics are in the territory of Syria. There's a threat of their return to us. So instead of waiting for their return, we are better off helping Assad fight them on Syrian territory. So this is the most important thing which encourages us and pushes us to provide assistance to Assad. And in general, we want the situation in the region to stabilize. But your pride in Russia means that you would like to see Russia play a bigger role in the world, and this is just one example. Well, it's not the goal in itself. I'm proud of Russia, that's true. And we have something to be proud of. But we do not have any obsession with being a superpower in the international arena. But you are, in part, a major power because of the nuclear weapons you have. You are a force to be reckoned with. I hope so. I, d I definitely hope so. Otherwise, why do we have nuclear weapons at all? Recent tension between the United States and Russia began after Ukraine's President Yanukovych was overthrown and fled to Russia. Putin responded by annexing Crimea, leading the U.S. and Western allies to impose tough economic sanctions against Russia. Ukraine is a separate and major issue for us. It's our closest neighbor. We've always said this is our sister country. It's not only a Slavic people. We have common history, common culture, common religion, and many things in common. What I believe is absolutely unacceptable is the resolution of internal political issues in the former USSR republics through color revolutions, through coup d'etat, through unconstitutional removal of power. That is totally unacceptable. Our partners in the United States have supported those who ousted Yanukovych. You believe that the United States had something to do with the ousting of Yanukovych? and he had to flee to Russia. I know that for sure. How do you know that for sure? 
Очень просто, потому что, потому что люди, которые живут на Украине, всяких контактов и тысячи. The U.S. government has denied any involvement in the removal of the Ukrainian leader. Do you respect the sovereignty of Ukraine? Конечно. But we want countries to respect the sovereignty of other countries, and Ukraine in particular. Respect for sovereignty means to not allow unconstitutional action and coup d'etat, the removal of legitimate power. How will the renewal of legitimate power take place in your judgment? How will that come about? And what role will Russia play? Russia has not taken part and is not going to take part in any actions aimed at removing the legitimate government. You have a military presence on the border of Ukraine, and some even argue that there have been Russian troops in Ukraine. Well, do you have a military presence in Europe? Yes. American tactical nuclear weapons are in Europe. Let's not forget that. What does this mean? Does it mean that you've occupied Germany or that you've transformed the occupation forces into NATO forces? And if we have our military forces on our territory, on the border with some state, you believe this is a crime? What Vladimir Putin thinks about America and about President Obama might surprise you. That and some insights into his personality when we come back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Vladimir Putin has wielded power in Russia for more than 15 years, longer than many czars. He has not only reshaped his own country, but has begun to play a larger role in international affairs as an occasional ally, but more often foe, of U.S. policy. Presidential candidates have portrayed him as a bully, a gangster, or pragmatic opponent who can be bargained with. One thing we found, a strong personality who will engage in a conversation with blunt talk, charm, and wit. You're much talked about in America. There's much conversation, more so than any... Maybe they have nothing else to do in America but to talk about it. No, no, no. no. Or maybe they're curious people. <laughs> or maybe you're an interesting character. Maybe that's what it is. They know of a former KGB agent who came back and got into politics in St. Petersburg and became deputy mayor and then came to Moscow. Um, and the interesting thing is they see these images of you bare-chested on a horse, and they say, there is a man who carefully cultivates his image of strength. You know, I'm convinced that a person in my position must provide a positive example to people. And those areas where he can do this, he must do this. You enjoy the work, you enjoy representing Russia, and you know you've been an intelligence officer. Intelligence officers know how to read other people. That's part of the job, yes? 
Yes. Bola. It used to be. It used to be. Now I have a different job, and that's been for quite a long time. Somebody in Russia told me there is no such thing as a former KGB man. Once a KGB man, always a KGB man. Well, you know, anything that we do, all this knowledge we acquire, all the experience, we'll have it forever. And we'll keep that. And we'll use it somehow. So, in this sense, yes, they're right. A CIA operative once said to me that one of the training you have is you learn the capacity to be liked as well. Because you have to charm people. You, you have to charm people. You have to, yeah. yes, seduce them. No. Mm -hmm. no. Well, if the CIA told you, then that's the way it is, because they're an expert on that. You have a popularity rating in Russia that would make every politician in the world envious. Why are you so popular? There is something that I have in common with every citizen of Russia, the love for our motherland. Many of us were moved by an emotional moment at the time of the World War II memory because of the sacrifices Russia had made. And you, you were seen with a picture of your father with tears in your eyes. My family suffered very major losses during the Second World War. That's true. In my father's family, there were five brothers. I think four of them died. On my mother's side, the picture was pretty much the same. Russia has suffered great losses, and of course, we can't forget that, and we must not forget that. Not to put blame on somebody, but to prevent anything like this from happening in the future. You also have said that the worst thing that happened last century was the collapse of the Soviet Empire. There are those who look at Ukraine, especially Ukraine and Georgia, and they believe that you do not want to recreate the Soviet empire, but you do want to recreate a sphere of influence which you think Russia deserves because of the relationship that has existed. <laughs> Why are you smiling? <laughs> Why? You're making me happy because we're always suspected of some ambitions and they always try to distort something or hint at something. I indeed said that I believe that the collapse of the USSR was a huge tragedy of the 20th century. You know why? Because first of all, in an instant, 25 million Russian people found themselves beyond the borders of the Russian state, although they were living within the borders of the Soviet Union. Then all of a sudden the USSR collapsed, just overnight in fact. And it's turned out that in the former Soviet republics 25 million Russian people were living. They were living in a single country, and all of a sudden they turned out to be outside the borders of the country. You see, this is a huge problem. 
First of all, there were everyday problems, the separation of families, social problems, economic problems. You can't list them all. Do you think it's normal that 25 million Russian people were abroad all of a sudden? Russia was the biggest divided nation in the world. It's not a problem? Well, maybe not for you, but it's a problem for me. There are many people who are critical of Russia, as you know. They say that it's more autocratic and less democratic. They say that political opponents and journalists have been killed and imprisoned in Russia. They say your power is unchallenged. And they say that power and absolute power um, corrupts absolutely. What do you say to those people who worry about the climate, the atmosphere in Russia? Well, there can be no democracy whatsoever without compliance with the law. Everyone must observe the laws. This is the most important thing which we must bear in mind. As for these tragic events, such as the death of people, including journalists, unfortunately they do occur in all countries of the world. But if they happen in our country, we do the utmost to find the criminals and to punish them. But the most important thing is that we will continue to improve our political system so that every citizen can feel that they do influence the life of the city, of the country, and of the society, and so that the authorities will feel responsible with regard to those people who trust them during the election campaigns. If you, as a leader of this country, insist that the rule of law be adhered to, if you insist that justice be done, if you, because of your power, then it could go a long way to eliminating that perception. Well, a lot can be done, but not everyone succeeds with everything from the very start. How long did it take the democratic process to develop in the United States? Do you believe that everything is perfect now from the point of view of democracy in the United States? If everything was perfect, there wouldn't be the problem of Ferguson. There would be no abuse by the police. But our task is to see all these problems and to respond properly. So the people who killed Mr. Nemtsov will be prosecuted to the fullest. Yes. I said it right away that this is a shame for our history, and criminals must be prosecuted and punished. Are you curious about America? More than simply another nation that you have to deal with. Of course we're curious about what's going on. America exerts enormous influence on the situation in the world as a whole. What do you admire most about America? I like the creativity. Creativity. Creativity when it comes to tackling your problems. Their openness. Openness and open-mindedness. Because it allows them to unleash the inner potential of their people. And thanks to that, America has attained such amazing results in developing their country. Let me ask you this. What do you think of President Obama? What's your evaluation of him? I don't think I'm entitled to give any views regarding the president. That's up to the American people. Do you think his activities in foreign affairs reflect a weakness? I don't think so at all. You see, here's the thing. 
In any country, and in the United States, I believe this happens even more often than in any other country, foreign political factors are used for domestic political battles. There's a presidential campaign coming up, so they're playing either the Russian card or some other. Okay, but let me ask you this. <laughs> uh, do you think he listens to you? Well, I think we listen to each other in a way, especially when it comes to something that doesn't go counter to our own ideas about what we should and should not do. Do you think he considers Russia? You said you're not a superpower. He considers Russia an equal and considers you an equal, which is the way you want to be treated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you ask him. He's your president. How could I know what he thinks? Are you watching the Republican political debates? Well, I don't watch them daily, no. Marco Rubio is running for the Republican nomination. And he said that you were like a, a, a gangster. How can I be a gangster if I worked for the KGB? Come on. That does not correspond to reality. Are people in Russia fearful of you? I think no, they're not. And most people trust me if they vote for me in the election. That's the most important thing. It places a huge responsibility on me, and I'm grateful to people for this trust. But at the same time, I feel this huge burden of responsibility for doing what I do and for the results of my work. As you know, some have called you a czar. So what? You know, people call me different names. Does the name fit? <laughs> No, it does not fit me. It's not important what you're called, whether these are well-wishers, friends, or opponents. It's important what you do for the interests of the country that has entrusted you with such a position as the head of the Russian state. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Picture a bar graph that averages the best political polls. Donald Trump stands above the crowded skyline of Republican candidates like one of his boastful buildings, first in the nation, first in Iowa, first in New Hampshire, and first for the last 11 weeks. Political architects are amazed because Trump rose on a shaky foundation. His shoot-from-the-lip style managed to offend women, Latinos, and American POWs. Now, with summer over and four months to Iowa, voters captivated by a larger-than-life personality begin to want the fine details. That's what we were looking for this past Tuesday when we met Trump on top in his Fifth Avenue penthouse in Manhattan. He surprised us with news about his tax plan. So now you've got everybody's attention. I do have their attention. Revolution is easy. Governing is hard. And what I'd like to get at is how you intend to govern the country if you're elected president. What's your tax plan? 
a substantial reduction for the middle-income people because our middle-class cut is being absolutely decimated. It will be a corporate also reduction. I think it'll be a great incentive for corporations. Who are you going to raise taxes on? If you look at actual raise, some very wealthy are going to be raised. Some people that are getting unfair deductions are going to be raised. But overall, it's going to be a tremendous incentive to grow the economy. And we're going to take in the same or more money. And I think we're going to have something that's going to be spectacular. But Republicans don't raise taxes. Well, well, we're not what, raising taxes. What kind of Republican are you? I mean, the only... Well, I'm a pretty good Republican, but I will tell you this. I do have some differences. I don't want to have certain people on Wall Street get away with paying no tax. You say you're going to lower taxes on the middle class. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about numbers that will be announced over the next two days, and they'll be significant for the middle class. Do you know what the numbers are? I know them right now. Well, why don't you tell me? This is 60 Minutes. I know. It's I time know. to tell the folks at home the details... Well, of what I, you I will say to do. this. There will be a large segment of our country that will have a zero rate, a zero rate. And that's something I haven't told anybody. You're talking about? We're talking about people in the low-income brackets that are supposed to be paying taxes. Many of them don't anyway. You're talking about making part of the population exempt from income taxes. That is correct. You're talking about cutting corporate income that taxes. That is correct. But... There's a $19 trillion federal debt. That's right. We're going to grow the economy you so much. You can't afford to do those things. No, no, but if the economy grows the way it should grow, if I bring jobs back from China, from Japan, from Mexico, from so many countries, everybody's taking our jobs. How do you get them back? You get those them back. Those $20 an hour jobs that this country was built on. Right, exactly. You get them back by taking them away from other countries. I mean, if you look at China, we How have... How does the president have, do we, that? Well, the president does it by not allowing places like China to devaluate, you know, they devalue their currency, Scott, to such an extent that it's impossible for our companies to compete. Every time they do that, they suck the blood right out of our country. You're not running for president of China. No, I'm You're running, not no. going to be able to prevent the devaluation oh, sure of their currency. You are, sure you are. Look, they don't respect our president. They don't respect our country. They will respect me. They won't be doing it. But here's what we have to do. If they don't come to the table, they're going to have a tax when they put their products into this country. And they're going to behave. So you would tax their products would, if, coming into the United States? You're talking about anything. a trade war. Uh, I'm talking about a fair war. I'm talking about also, I have the smartest people on Wall Street lined up already. They're going to represent us on Japan, on Mexico. Mexico, by the way, is taking our jobs. I love the Mexican people. They're great people. But the leadership is too smart for our country. Ford Motor Company moving a $2.5 billion plant to Mexico. But there's Mexico. nothing you can do about that as president. Sure you is. can't. How do right. you keep them from exporting American jobs Ford, to Mexico? Let's say Ford moves to Mexico. If they want to sell that car in the United States, they pay a tax. Here's what's going to happen. They're not going to build their plant there. They're going to build it in the United States. But there is a North American free trade agreement. And there shouldn't be. It's a disaster. But it is okay. there. Yes, and if you're president, you're going to have to me. live with it. We will either renegotiate it or we will break it. Because, you know, every agreement has an end. You can't just break the law. Excuse me. Every agreement has an end. Every agreement has to be fair. Every agreement has a defraud clause. We're being defrauded by all these countries. It's called free trade, no, and it is a plank of the Republican platform. Scott, we need fair trade, not free trade. We need fair trade. It's got to be fair. Trump's differences with Republicans and Democrats have him rising on a mood of national frustration. In our CBS News poll, nearly half of Republicans in the early primary states say they're not dissatisfied with Washington. They're angry. 
They tell us that business know-how matters much more than a political resume. Hello, sir. And when they see the multi-billionaire in his private 757, 80% of Republicans say they see a strong leader. So I want to build our country. Our country has been decimated. We have spent so much money in the Middle East and other places. We, our roads are falling apart. Our bridges are falling apart. Everything's falling apart. This we have sounds, to rebuild our country. This sounds great. How are you going to pay for it? We're going to absolutely be able to pay for it. My economy will expand so rapidly. We're going to take jobs back from other countries, and we will be able to pay for it. Are you serious about deporting 12 million illegal immigrants? Well, nobody knows the number, but the answer is you just said it. They're illegal immigrants. They're here illegally. First of all, I have to start a little bit differently. We're going to build a wall, and we're going to create a border. It's going to be a great wall, and it's not going to be very expensive, and it's going to be peanuts compared to the kind of numbers. Do you know? How are you going to build a wall that is cheap and impenetrable? It will be a real wall. It'll be a wall that works. It'll actually be a wall that will look good, believe it or not, because what they have now is a joke. They're they're ugly, little, and don't work. Let's assume your wall has gone up. Good. 11, 12 million illegal immigrants well, still, whatever the number is. still in the country. Yeah. What do you do? If they've done well, they're going out and they're coming back in legally. Because you're, you said you're it. rounding them all up. Uh, we're rounding them up in a very humane way, in a very nice way. And they're going to be happy because they want to be legalized. And, and by the way, I know it doesn't sound nice. But not everything is nice. It doesn't Somebody sound practical. Somebody has to do it is practical. It's going to work. They have to come here legally. And, you know, when I talk about the wall, and I said it before, we're going to have a tremendous, beautiful, wide-open door, nice big door. We want people to come into the country. You know, the problem with a lot of these ideas is that the president of the United States is not the CEO of America. That's right. The Constitution is going to tell you no. The Congress we'll is going to tell you no. We'll the Supreme see. Court is going to tell you no. Well, we'll see. And you're not used to working uh, look, in an environment like I, that. I, do, I do it all the time. I, I Who do it tells all the you time. No. I do it all the time. Not that many people. No, I do it all the time. And I deal with governments all the time. I have overseas, I have vast holdings overseas. What is the role of the U.S. military in the world? I want to have a military that's so strong, so powerful, so modern, has the greatest equipment in the world, and that everybody says we're not going to mess with them. And we don't have that now. When has the U.S. military been too small to accomplish its mission? It's not a question of too small. We, we don't have leadership. We're at war with ISIS as we sit here. How do you end it? Uh, I would end ISIS forcefully. I think ISIS, what they did was unbelievable with James Foley and with the cutting off of heads of everybody. I mean, these people are, are totally a disaster. Now, let me just say this. ISIS in Syria... Assad in Syria, Assad and ISIS are mortal enemies. We go in to fight ISIS. Why aren't we letting ISIS go and fight Assad, and then we pick up the remnants? Why are we doing this? We're fighting ISIS, and Assad has to be saying to himself, they are the nicest or dumbest people that I've ever met. Let me get this right. So we lay off ISIS for now. In Syria. Lay off in Syria. Let them destroy Assad, and then we go in behind that. That's what I would say. Okay. Yes, that's what I would say. Or he had another idea. Leave it to an old adversary. If you look at Syria, Russia wants to get rid of ISIS. We want to get rid of ISIS. Maybe let Russia do it. Let them get rid of ISIS. What the hell do we care? Okay, that's Syria. What do you do in Iraq with with ISIS? Look, with ISIS in Iraq, you got to knock them out. 
How do you do that? You got to fight them. You got to fight them. On you the have ground. to send it. If you need, you're going to have to do that. Yes. Troops on the ground. Yes. Fifteen years ago, he advocated a preemptive strike on North Korea's nuclear program, which he still sees as a major threat. Well, you're going to have to do something at some point. You would drop a bomb on their nuclear reactor? I would reactor? do something. You have to do something about North Korea. Now, what I would do is I would make China respect us because China has extreme control over North Korea. And I would say, China, you better go in there and you better do something because economically it could cause China. And they're going to listen to Donald Trump. Do, yeah, they're going to listen they to They don't me. listen to the president of the they're United States, but Donald just, Trump, they're going to listen Just like I have the Chinese banks in my buildings, they listen to me, they respect me. China has almost complete control over North Korea. China will do that. And if they don't do that, they have to suffer economically because we have the engine that makes China work. You know, without the United States and without China sucking out all our money and our jobs, China would collapse in about two minutes. What's your plan for Obamacare? Obamacare is going to be repealed and replaced. Obamacare is a disaster. If you look at what's going on with premiums, whether up 45, 50, 55 percent. So how do you fix it? There's many different ways, by the way. Everybody's got to be covered. This is an unrepublican thing for me to say, because a lot of times they say, no, no, the lower 25 percent, they can't afford private. But universal health care. I am going to take care of everybody. I'm, I don't care if it costs me votes or not. Everybody's going to be taken care of much better than they're taken care of now. The uninsured person? Right. Is going to be taken care They're of. They're going to be How? taken care of. How? I would make a deal with existing hospitals to take care of people. And you know what? This is probably. Make a deal. Who pays for it? The government's going to pay for it, but we're going to save so much money on the other side. But for the most part, it's going to be a private plan, and people are going to be able to go out and negotiate great plans with lots of different competition, with lots of competitors, with great companies, and they can have their doctors, they can have their plans, they can have everything. In your book, The America We Deserve, you proposed raising the Social Security retirement age to 70. Is that still your plan? Yeah, not anymore, because now what I want to do is take money back from other countries that are killing us, and I want to save Social Security. And we're going to save it without increases. We're not going to raise the age, and it will be just fine. How are you going to do that? It is a basket Through case. capability. We will set it up by making our country rich again. You know, the, the heart of all of your plans seems to be we're going to be rich. We're going to do great. As a country, we are going to do great. You know, neither party likes you very much. How are you going to uh, get... I would say that's true, yes. How are you going to get anything through well, Congress? Well, when you say the party, the establishment doesn't. For instance, I noticed that the Well, Ronald... that's who Congress is. No, how, that's okay. How are you going to oh, get, get anything? Along. I'll get I've gotten along with politicians my whole life. I've made a fortune on politicians. Nobody knows politicians better than I do. I get along with politicians. You're not going to be able to buy them anymore. No, no, I'm not going to buy them. I'm not going to buy them. I'll get along with them. You've got to get along, and you've got to get people to do what you... It's called leadership. We don't have any leadership right now. In Dallas this month, he nearly filled a 20,000-seat arena. Our poll shows that his support extends from Republicans to independents, young and old, evangelical and not. But his poll numbers did slip slightly last week. And nationally, among all voters, majorities of blacks and Hispanics disapprove. Trump told us he will pay for his campaign all the way through the nomination. Yeah, I'm totally willing to. I'm self-funding my campaign. Now, once you get into the nomination, then the Republican Party kicks in and they raise all this money and they do whatever they have to do. But I am absolutely 100% doing it myself. You love hearing about yourself. I do. It is oxygen to you. What does that tell us 
about Donald Trump. No, if I'm on a show, I'll turn on the show, but I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. If somebody's... I was in your office, all the magazines on your desk... Well, I have are, a lot of covers. ...are covers of you. I think I have all more covers. All the pictures on the wall are pictures well, of it's, you. it's cheaper than wallpaper. What are we supposed to take from you that? You know, look... I'm on a lot of covers. I think maybe more than almost any supermodel. I think more than any supermodel. But in a way, that's a sign of respect. People are respecting what you're doing. So this is the corner office at Fifth Avenue and 57th, probably right. the most expensive intersection in the world. I would say it is, absolutely. And but Central there Park. isn't enough respect, he told us, for the business he built. Trump real estate scrapes the skies of the world, apartments, offices, hotels, casinos, famous golf courses, and television shows. He started with his father's successful real estate, and now Trump says he's worth $10 billion. Others estimate four. Real estate values are notoriously variable. And your father also used to tell you, if I have this right, attack, attack, attack. I'll tell you what, my father was a really good man with a tremendous heart, but he was a tough cookie. With a tougher hide, perhaps, than his son, who has sometimes gone to war with reporters. Why so thin-skinned? I don't like lies. I, I don't mind a bad story. If you did a bad story on me for 60 minutes, if it were a fair story, I wouldn't be thin-skinned at all. You know, some of the media is among the worst people I've ever met. And I mean a pretty good percentage is really a terrible group of people. They write lies, they write false stories, they know they're false, it makes no difference. And frankly, I'm, I don't call it thin-skinned. I'm angry. An impression is created, though, that you like to dish it out, but you can't take a punch. Oh, I think I can take it. I, I can take it if it's fair. Again, if people say things that are false, which happens a lot with me, if people say things that are false, I will fight, like, harder than anybody. If I do something wrong, and that happens, and they write a fair story that I did something wrong, there's nothing to fight about. I can handle that. I don't like lying. You know, I'm a very honorable guy. I don't like lies. What personal hardship has defined your character? Well, I think I've had some, uh, but I had a brother who was a fantastic guy, Fred. And he was a young man, and he passed away at a fairly young age, and uh, he was an alcoholic. He would tell me constantly, don't drink, and I've never had a drink. I own the largest winery on the East Coast, and yet I don't drink, which is a little weird. But he'd say, don't drink, don't smoke. And he would tell me all the time, because he had a problem with it. He died of alcoholism. That is a warning that he's pressed on his children, three of whom run his companies. I have children that are very good children, and, and so far, I knock on wood, right? You know, who knows? Very they, accomplished, your three older terrific children. terrific people. But I say, no drugs, no alcohol, no cigarettes. Millions of people are wondering right now whether you are serious or whether this is a reality show. Yesterday you said, if the presidency doesn't work out, I'll go back to my business. Well, that's true. Do you intend I mean, that's to true. be president I can't guarantee. or I, not? Uh, totally. But that's true. I always like to have a downside. I love my business. I didn't want to do this. I just see our country is going to hell. And I felt I had to do it. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. And tomorrow, be sure to watch CBS This Morning. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Don't miss true crime anytime you want, anywhere you go with the 48 Hours Podcast. Real crimes. Like a John Grisham novel come to life. Real lives. He pointed a gun to me and said, this is the day you die. And he shot me. Real justice. There's some questions that have to be asked and need to be answered. I'm an innocent man and I hope the whole world can see it now. Catch the latest episodes of 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts.